Trials and tribulations, life can get rough. And through the storm, we'll make it just put your trust in him. No matter what you're going through, I know that I'll never leave you. You feel that you can't take no more. You may think you've seen it all. Thank you for listening to the Get Happy with Jay podcast. Today is an extra special pleasure because I have uh, been allowed to invade a family gathering (laughs) of family and friends (laughs) Uh to get their impressions and their opinions on generational politics. We have several different generations sitting around our own version of the red (laughs) table. table. Sorry, Jada, (laughs) we're biting on you just for uh, just a moment. And first of all, yeah, yeah, we'll call it the blue table, especially since most of us are at least somewhat liberal. So... We'll say blue. Anyway, I did some research uh, getting ready for this podcast, and I was really interested to know, like, what are the age groups of the generations and why generations are even broken down and into that way and how it's a study of social constructs. So according to ages, Generation Z, like the age of your kids, is roughly the ages of 7 to 22, and they're also called post-millennials. Generation uh, of the millennials, which are also Gen Yers, that's uh, a large group of people, and people in that age group are roughly ages 23 to 38. Generation Xers, which I was surprised that I was an Xer, but I didn't exactly know where I fit in. I'm kind of an old Xer. (laughs) (laughs) And our generation is the age group of 39 to 54. Baby boomers, which my husband, I think, was devastated today when I informed him that he is technically a baby boomer. That age range is 55 to 73. And then the older generation of that is called the silent generation. And that's 74 to 91. And I'm like, silent because most of them are unfortunately deceased. (laughs) Why are they called silent? But anyway, that is like the generational age breakdown. And when you study each generation, it's it's really interesting to see where they break down in opinions on any number of topics because it's shaped by what's going on culturally. It's shaped on uh, historical events, your socioeconomic status. And it's also interesting that within those certain generation groups, we have a lot in common. So we are going to concentrate, though, on politics because we've got an election year coming up and we've got a couple of different generations represented at this family gathering. And they have all been gracious enough, or at least most of them. I'm pulling some arms here to get them at the table. But I really want to know where you guys stand politically. And I'm especially interested in my younger Gen Xers, like my brother. So let's go around it and let everyone introduce themselves first that's going to participate. So going into my right that you can't see, Miss Thang, pick up the mic. <laughs> Good evening. Well, thank you for allowing us to participate. Well, thank Ooh, you this for, is going to get deep. It's going to get yeah, deep. Thank but you for I, allowing me to interrupt a, a family occasion. Um, but I am Erica. Um, I'm your, I guess, I guess sister-in-law, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio, and I would say my, my my views are probably, I would say, moderate. Yeah. Our views. Um, this is Jeremy. This is her brother. I uh, did the uh, the theme music for the podcast. So. Yay! Happy to be home for the holidays. Um, this is your family, by the way. You act like you just knocked on somebody's door and said, "Can I do oh, a I podcast?" Know, yeah. Everyone, this, this is, is her family. family. So yeah. So <laughs> I guess I'll give my comments, and then you guys can figure out what my views are. That's a good one, Jeremy. I'm Val, and I am a boomer. And um, uh, what, what what was the other thing I was supposed to? Where, where Not yet. I can't tell those. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically I've, I've been a Democrat all my life. You know, more liberal. So I consider that my, my stance. Hi, I'm Layla. I'm just a sixth grader, so I'm here to just give my opinions over politics, even though I really don't know that much about them yet. But yeah. Here are my opinions. <laughs> All right, my name is Raymond. He's been my victim before. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't have 
a set view on things. I take my clues from the Word of God to how so, to oh. how to uh, address things. Well, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. So we've got lots of different views here, and we possibly might have a couple of other guests that are going to join us during this hour. But I I was really interested to know, and we are all, by the way, African American, which um, is another thing to add into this. And I think everybody at this table is also solidly middle class which is another thing to consider when you're listening to our point of views because where you are socioeconomically, also um, it uh, lends to what your political views are. And like Erica, I think I tend to be moderate. And I think if for anyone that's been listening to this podcast any amount of time that you hear that from me and I actually get feedback that people don't appreciate that I'm black and moderate. And that's okay, because everyone has a right to their own opinion. So let's dig right into this. Of all the candidates out there, and we're talking on the Democratic side, since most of us have said that pretty much, I think all of us mostly are Democrats. First of all, if you are a Democrat, tell me why you're a Democrat. Well, this is Erica, and I forgot to share. I think I'm I'm 42. I don't have any problem saying that. I'm proud of my 42 years. Wherever that puts me in the generations, that's where I'm at. So I would say my views about the candidates right now are probably a lot about not necessarily who really identifies with my views, Mm -hmm. but who I really feel like could uh, be a tough contender against the Republican Party in the 2020 election. Especially Trump. And I think that's that's the big discussion in the Democratic Party is, do you go with who fits your values more or what their agenda is or who can win? And that's a bit that's a struggle with me because there's one candidate that I'm leaning towards and I'll just flat out say it. I really appreciate uh, Elizabeth Warren. I think she has a plan for everything. I don't necessarily agree with her for Medicare for all. Because I like having the choice in my health care and I don't know that I can trust the government to handle my health care. That kind of scares me a little bit. So except for that issue, I think to me, she has spoken the most to my needs. Um, I really appreciate that she actually is one of the few candidates that's actually said things that, that at least seems like she has a plan for black people. That's important to me. So of everyone, she's the one that I'm leaning towards. But I have that gut thing that says, can she beat Trump? Mm -hmm. So therefore, in the upcoming primary, do I vote for her even though she's my favorite candidate? Or do I vote for someone else that might have a better chance to win? What do you guys think? And I was just going to add that. I probably identify myself as more of a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So as we're having this conversation about generations Mm -hmm. and politics, obviously that probably has a lot to do with influence in my home and my upbringing. Yes. Because, so this is interesting. I'm an election baby. My birthday is on November 6th. So mm-hmm. I can remember from a young age, I remember going into a pizza hut, getting pizza. And it was like my birthday, but everybody was talking about, do you remember Geraldine Ferrara? Yes. Uh, so early on, I probably, uh, the po- the political process appealed to me because it was always happening around my birthday. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think my mom identified as a Democrat. So being in a home, um, I was definitely influenced by that. So politics were spoken of in your home growing up. Mm-hmm. Were you aware of it yes. because of in the home? Mm-hmm. And see, I'm the opposite because you know, anyone that's listened to the podcast knows that I was raised by my great grandmother who was very super uh, religious. She would have been considered kind of a fundamentalist Pentecostal and she didn't vote. She never talked about it. So I personally didn't get interested in politics until college because that just was not something that was talked about in my home growing up. So, and Jeremy, I don't even think we even really addressed it because I just didn't think about it. So I just became aware of it really when I went to Bradley and started taking classes like Afro-American studies. And then that's when I became interested in politics. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so it's interesting. Also along this lines of what the influence of your home. So my sister and I went to schools where I would say we're pretty fairly middle class Mm -hmm. um, and maybe even segments of upper class. And so I remember at a young age, my sister coming home one day saying that she wanted to vote for Bush. And I remember we were all like, what? What are you talking about? I mean, I distinctly remember being in like fifth grade, like that young. So again, I would say my political views have been definitely influenced by my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would also say that when I thought about her saying like, why would you want to do that? (laughs) You're Mm -hmm. young, you're black. Why would you want to vote for Bush? But I will also say that as I've gotten older, yes, I probably identify more with we do need to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, To some extent, I do think we're our brother's keeper. Mm -hmm. But there's also things on the other side that I identify with as well. So that was just in in response to your question about who's the candidate that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, do I think I could manage having a Republican in office? Yeah, we we do. Life has gone on, right? (laughs) But when you talk about the condition of the country, do I think that he needs to be unseated? Absolutely. And so at this point, it's about who can win. So in my opinion, probably Mm -hmm. the toughest contender against him is Biden. I don't necessarily agree with everything Biden does, but Mm -hmm. in my opinion, he probably has the ability to compete with him. Okay, Val, you look like you had an opinion. Yeah, I was saying growing up in uh, the turbulent 60s and the civil rights uh, era, my my family, my especially in the church, our church was very politically active. We had John mm-hmm. Gwynn mm-hmm. and a lot of those people who attended our church. We did demonstrations. We did all of that when we were in high school and we were growing up. So, and that was always a more of a democratic kind of activity because mm-hmm. it involved people who were Democrats. Yeah, and so it, and, and and civil rights. Equal mm-hmm. rights. So uh, the Democrats seem to be more inclined to address the concerns of people like me. Mm-hmm. I did not identify with Republicans. Now, are you old enough to remember the time where most black people were Republicans? The party of Lincoln? I mean, that's kind of like before your time for sure, but like pre-civil rights, let's say most African Americans were Republican because of Lincoln and, you know, and him having that, quote yeah, unquote right. freed the slaves and that that switched around the Kennedy era. And then all of a sudden black people flipped and we were uh, became Democrats because Democrats, especially old Southern Democrats, and those are the same folks that hold back progression even to this day like southern democrats are very racist yeah so there was a switch in time to where uh the majority of black people went from being republicans to democrats and it was right after that civil rights era between yeah my husband said between the 30s and 40s and those are things i think that young people need to know yeah historically how we have come to be the parties involved mm-hmm. with the parties that we are involved mm-hmm. uh, in because I don't think we know that you yeah know, a lot a lot of uh, the young people so just real quick a question back for you Tan. sure so you say that Trump needs to go out so one of the things that he's talked about recently pretty openly is mm-hmm. that that topic of the Democratic Party really hasn't necessarily done anything to change the yeah. the the position of black people generally in America. They don't so, earn our vote. We have to be honest. So what do you think about that when a politician like that says things where there's for some of us, there's probably some truth to that? Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, um, my opinion is I, I believe the, the, the parties contribute to the divide in this country. It's almost kind of like if you're black and you're Republican, you're a sellout. Or you yeah. should you should vote Republican. You should vote Democratic because you're black. And I think we should listen to because you can't you can, you're not going to please everybody. You, well, no matter who gets in office, he can't do he or she can't do mm-hmm. good. Can't help everybody. I think we should get rid of the parties and listen to people's views and look at their and look at their actions. Take their actions. Maybe give them a probation period. Yeah. What are you doing? What, yeah. the, the stuff that you sold us on during during your race if you're not doing it you're, you're on probation yeah i'm well, on probation when i get my job i have to have to perform yeah. if i'm not performed you gotta go so why can't we do that well that's why term limits are important yeah that's too <laughs> long of a important. probation period though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two years a lot can go wrong but it's just yeah. like I, I i'm like people ask me are you a democrat or republican i'm like i want to hear i want to hear what your views are yeah i want to hear what your views are yeah, i, I want to hear an actual agenda and i think i'm not really hearing a clear agenda no. from anyone it's like they have generic little talking points 
that mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. So everybody, so we right now we're just let's you have you have you of course you're gonna have your people that's gonna be pro Trump, but most people, even some people that voted for him and see see his views or what mm-hmm. have you, they're like let's get him out, let's get him out, let's get him out. It's kind of like hold up, just I mean I'm hold on, let me take that back. You're gonna have to edit that because <laughs> it's like. That and so now what you're doing is a lot of people may not even be listening to his competition. Yeah. Because what just just like what happened when we voted for Obama, those group of people they vote they voted for anything they would have voted for a frog just to get Obama far, as far away from Obama yeah. as possible. That's why Hillary didn't win because Hillary and Trump. Well, what do counted. you guys think about the argument, especially within the black community? Of course, once again, we're not a monolith, and everyone at this table does not speak for black people everywhere. But there is a big discussion about how much did Barack Obama benefit the black community? And I I see arguments on both sides of that because to me, honestly, he was great for the Latino community. He did DACA. You know, he was great for immigration and he was great for LGBTQ plus rights. But when you think about how he actually benefited black communities, what can you think of right off the top of your head that you feel that we benefited from, from his presidency? Other than him being the figurehead, which is important of seeing even the symbol of a black president. Yeah, I, I was going to say that he gives he gives uh, a young black boy hope that it's possible. Yes. But as far as him doing something for us, I mean, it, that's a two edged sword, because when we got him, we automatically say he's the black president. He's going to do. For, but he has to do best. What's best for all. Yeah. But he did um, single out certain communities like the. Yeah. L- the LGBT and then, you know, gay, all those different things and, you know, Latinas. But he didn't specifically, I didn't feel he specifically did anything for the black race. I think he was blocked a lot because I was really surprised at, especially the first two years of his presidency, when the Democrats controlled the House Mm. and the Senate and the presidency. I expected for there to be a lot more done and there really wasn't. And he had a lot of his own party that blocked him. And for example, with health care, he actually wanted a more progressive health care plan one that was universal and he had his own party that fought against him so i think some of that was the fact that his own party was divided well two things i'll say are that one i think that you mentioned the president being the the kind of the face of politics mm-hmm. one as black people in america we have to be more educated about the political process mm-hmm. from the bottom up Mm-hmm. So we get so caught up in the presidential elections that we don't think about electing for governor or electing for our state representatives True. and showing up there because that's where, you know, those kinds of things really matter. The second part is, I mean, probably to the beginning of time, as we just talk about this idea of politics, I don't know, I saw this movie, Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog's an old movie. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. But Wag the Dog is really about a political issue happening. And so these people go into Hollywood and covering up that political issue. So I share that because politics to me is really about money. Mm-hmm. And it's and about power. a lot of other things that really don't have to do with social issues and the process of politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. And I don't know, maybe this is a political thing. I do think most black people voted for Brock because he was black. Yeah. So I don't know if that's political or not. Right. Right. Yeah. I doubt anybody really looked at his record and what he stood for, what he voted for, what is his gender for. They just we voted for him because he was black. So I'm not, I don't, again, like you said at the beginning, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's just an observation. Yeah. So my two observations there are really that we really need to be educated. We need to show up in more parts of the political process. Mm-hmm. And we also need to be aware that there's a lot involved in political. There's a lot of things that are influential factors there. Yeah. But speaking of Barack Obama and the fact that a lot of people did vote for him because he was black, I can kind of attest to that because I was not really aware of who Barack was in the beginning. I knew I had an idea that he was a senator from Illinois. Of course, we're in Illinois, but I really didn't take him seriously as a candidate. And I kind of thought, okay, this is another Jesse Jackson situation Mm. where it's going to be like a symbolic 
Pollock run. And so up until he won the Iowa primary, I was like team Hillary at the time because I mm-hmm. thought she was brilliant, qualified and could win. And but he got my attention after that. And I'm like, if he can win a lily white state like Iowa, this man has got my attention. And so I also liked what he had to say as as I became informed. But in the beginning, it's straight up. He was black. He was a brother and he's getting my vote. True. <laughs> as bad as that may sound. View, see? That's what, yeah. But I want to go back to something that, that you said, Erica, that I think we really need to touch back on. And I think you said something about Trump and kind of what would it take for him to get mm-hmm. black support in that vein, do you give him props at all for uh, the first, is it, what's the name of that act? The First Step Act, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. where he's giving uh, people an opportunity to get out of prison mm-hmm. who are in prison because of these minor offenses that have had because of the criminal injustice system that have been um, sentenced to horrifically long um, sentences that were unfair and how so many people have been released. And I think it's upwards of a thousand people so far that have been released because of that now he didn't do any work there have been advocates for the past 10 years plus that have been working towards this and it just so happens that he's president and like signed the bill into law and people have been released so does does that give you does he earn any points with you at all because of that or are you like eh bro no okay so let's let's clarify does he earn points would he earn consideration for my vote that's probably the basic question yes the answer to that is (laughs) no what would it take because that's one issue mm-hmm. um so to me i think the older i get i feel like life is about and and not either or mm-hmm. here's what i will say about trump he is a polarizing person mm-hmm. And he has been able to say what he wants and how he wants and still remain in that position. Mm -hmm. Um, I question his authenticity on anything that he says. Yes. However, I will say that what he was elected in there for, that was to be a different type of politician. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I do think that he is accomplishing that. He yeah, it just not- so happens that it's in the area of corruption. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so I guess, again, the, what I give him credit for is that it seems to me that the person who he has been before he was in office, mm-hmm. he has maintained mm-hmm. that personality. Yeah. And to me, as authentic as that can be, that seems to me to be pretty real. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's maintained that. He hasn't changed who he is. Yeah. And you got to give him some credit for that, in my opinion. That's what draws people to him is that he is himself. He's he's he doesn't change. And he kind of speaks like certain people. And we, we you know, political people talk out of both sides of their mouth at the same time. Yeah. He's saying this is what I'm saying. This is how I'm saying it. And well, I, yeah, I guess we do have to give him credit for that because he's up front. There's no BS. You know who he is, what he is. You knew that from day one, from uh, the infamous pee grabbing video <laughs> to everything. It's like, you know who he is, take it or leave it. And that unfortunately spoke to a whole lot of people. I agree. That's what really gave people uh, a sense that he is the real deal. And he is not just doing politics. This is, he's the creator of the deal, you know? Yeah. And he can do it, and he's going to do it his way. And I think people are looking for that because politics in Washington is dirty business. Yeah, it really is. And it's dirty business with anybody, right? I mean, I feel like any politician, Barack and Baba, Barack, Obama included, I think they've all had to make deals with the devil. Whether they come out and surface is another thing. But I don't feel like you get to that level without making some decisions um, that are against things that you value are against things that you think are beneficial to people. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's always got to be compromise. Yeah. What what is very interesting to me about Trump is that I do not understand there's got to be some very strong tie with his base because to me he could have altered his personality to me and mm-hmm. talk more about his record and been a little bit more um what's the word? professional, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think that he would have won a lot of people over. I think he could 
have done that. So why he doesn't play into that to get the win, um, there's something there to me that lets you know that whatever that base support is, Mm -hmm. is really strong. He doesn't have to. It really is. Now let me throw a little monkey wrench in here, and this is one area that I wonder if he could get a serious block of black votes is if he put into place a reparations plan. The R word, we haven't discussed reparations, and we're going to be doing an upcoming show that's dedicated to all things reparations and what we think about that. But what do you guys think? Do you think he'd get some votes? We have to demand more. It has to be more. It has to be. It has to be more. It can't be that simple. That's that's. I don't have. I can't elaborate on that. It has to be more. We can't be that easily swayed. Come on now. I don't think as a people we have an agenda. There seems to be a serious lack of leadership. Like when you take an era like the civil rights era, we had a clear leader who helped put together a vision, an agenda, demands for what we want. And we don't have that today. You have all these different groups and no one has a cohesive demand that from either political party, this is what we want, this is what we need, what can you do for me? And we just seem so scattered as a people that I think that's part of the problem. The thing is, Trump is playing chess as in he has a certain agenda and he he's doing what he has to do to please people to get what he needs done. And my personal opinion is that he's robbing the country blind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think and that he's in the pocket about, of the Russians. I ain't talking about little millions of dollars. I'm talking about billions and trillions of dollars. He is robbing us blind, and we don't even see it, you know, because um, his main purpose is money, money and, and fame. That's it. So wherever he can get it, hook or crook, he's, he's getting it right now. So I'll say in your in your response to your question about reparations, do I think that would get him some votes? Yes, it would. Not that that's the right thing to do. Right. But again, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm a part of an organization and we are talking to our young kids. And recently we talked to them about the election process mm-hmm. and talking to and I'm talking about we're talking about election process to from kids that are in pre-K all the way to 19. But in that um, we visited um, the Children's Museum in Bronzeville. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that is either the oldest or only african-american children's museum in the country but when we went there we saw um the kids saw things like politicians Mm -hmm. um and inventors and things like that but i say all that because we don't know our history right right Mm -hmm. so i think right now it will be about yes because what can i get out of that Mm -hmm. i do not think that this next generation really has a lot of idea about the true struggle of black people and Mm -hmm. why that's even a conversation i think and this might be where I'm ignorant, but I think sometimes people say yes because I'm going to get some money. Right. And I'm going to get some money, and what am I going to do that? I don't, I don't think these kids even really know about, like, Black Wall Street um, and these communities where, mm-hmm. you know, we were thriving. Yes. Um, and really who we are and where we mm-hmm. come from. Um so in my opinion, do I think that we people would say yes because they would see what's in it for them mm-hmm. and they would have no true idea of whose backs that would come that would come on the heels of. And since we do have a young person at the table, Layla, who is and let everyone know how old you are, because I think you told us your grade. But tell us again how old you are. I'm 11 in sixth grade. All right. So you are 11 and in sixth grade. Have you in your limited years of education so far heard anything about politics? Are you talking about political science at all yet? Um, Because I remember my first introduction to politics. Like I said, it wasn't in my home. It was actually in school. And it was when Jimmy Carter was running against uh, Gerald Ford. And I remember us having mock elections in school and having these conversations because there was a friend of mine that was a a black male and he was all about Ford and I was all about Carter and he kept trying to sway me like you should be a Republican and I didn't know what was what a Democrat versus Republican but I remember having those conversations in school are you guys doing anything addressing anything politically well not about like specific people but um 
recently before break we did an activity about pizza and it was about types of political parties so everybody got assigned a party like representative democracy or presidential democracy and someone would be a leader and then based off of the type of party you got that's how your pizza would be designed so if it was like a type of party that one person made the overall decisions then that's who would design the pizza if it was one that everybody got to say then everybody would get to put a topping on if it was one person and then picking who got to choose then those few select people would get to choose so that's all we really talked about this year and then like last year around um, when we were doing student council we just talked about how in the real world how elections really work that's all So let me ask you, how aware were you that we had a black president and that did you know who Barack Obama was and what did that mean to you having a black president? And it's so and I think the the magical thing about having had Barack Obama is like with your age and how you are, you got into the world pretty much and there was a black president. So Mm -hmm. in a way, you don't know any different. So, but what did that mean to you? I think we lived here still, and I was in, like, kindergarten. And that's when my mom talked to me about Obama, and I forget who was going against him, but that's when we kind of did, like, a fake voting at our house and everything, and I voted for Obama. And then I guess since then it was just a relief, I guess, just because that was someone of my own kind. And then when Donald Trump got elected, I remember that was the day we, me and my mom were watching it on TV and like just scared because the votes kept going up and down, up and down, so no one knew. And I had to go to sleep. The next morning, I went to my mom's room and asked him about her, about who, how it happened, who won, and then she told me it was Donald Trump. And then me and her just started crying on the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that was the first time that yeah. I ever was worried about like government and yeah, president. What did I say? You said, what's going to happen to my Spanish friends? That's the first thing you said. You was crying. Yeah, because in Plano, wherever, where I live, there's a big, I have all types of friends, Indian, white, black, Asian, like every, I have a friend in like every race. So I know when we got to school the next day, everybody was talking about it and worried about what would happen to their specific race. So that worried me too. I was like, okay, if something's going to happen to them, what's going to happen to my race? And that was just a conversation that we had with our friends that, you know, teachers had to shut down because they didn't want people to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or people to, like, people would hear them talk in the hallway and the teachers would come out and say, <coughs> stop talking about politics. I don't know why. I don't know if someone would get offended or why what they were trying to protect us from. But I just remember the next day, everybody, there were some people either, like, because everybody was talking bad about Donald Trump. Everybody was like, boo, I can't believe he won. This sucks, blah, blah, blah. So people, like, there was some people who were, like, super loud about it and, like, boo. And then other people were quiet. People that families were happy and proud that voted for them. So some people were just quiet, like, ashamed that they voted for him. So that just put me in a weird position that day. Such a sharp girl. But I think the important thing that you talk about, she talks about there is just the influencing of parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that she watched the election with my sister, her mom. Um, they had a conversation about it the next day. But I will also say it's really cool to hear that in the education system where you were, that they did an activity at their level to help them understand that Mm -hmm. um, and also made that tie to like student government. But I think it's so important for our young people that we make those processes real to them. And I also think it's important that we make our history real to them. Um, Because I think when they see movies like Harriet, I think they think that that's a story. I don't think that they realize that's real life and it's real life and it wasn't that long ago. Um, And but at the same time, I also think as we move away from that, sometimes I wonder what advantages there are for for us for that. Maybe it's that people won't feel shackled to that slavery mentality, Um, because in some of our young black people, I do see a lot of confidence um, and a lot of kind of, I don't, I'll fight against the machine. I'll rage against the machine. Not necessarily for us, but for like, you know, LBTG issues, um, you know, with um, what was happening at the border. Um, But I see that across the board, not just with young black 
um, kids, you see that across the board with that group. They're, to me, more apt to be united and fight against social injustice in a way that I think that my generation was not. Because I think my generation, we could still see the effects of Jim Crow on our parents. Um, and I think we're just trying to make it versus resist it. I think you had people that had to survive it. I think in my generation, we've benefited from the fight that our parents had. But I think now that our kids come along, and to some extent, I think they have a little good. <laughs> um, I think their, their view of it is totally different. And I think they see it as a global citizenship issue, not just as a race issue. I think, too, when you're talking about um, the slave narratives and should we move on from it versus people remembering it, I think you also have to constantly remember that um, saying that should not be seen as a cliche that if you don't know your history, you're destined to repeat it. And as fascism is growing across the world and even in our country, it's something that you can't say, oh, it'll never happen again, because as we're seeing people moving far to the right and extremism in that areas, I mean, it could happen again. We could unfortunately have another Holocaust. And there are people literally enslaved today from human trafficking, uh, whether it's uh, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, you know, slavery has never died. Yeah. You know, it's alive and well in our country and in other countries in the world. But I think to me, the slave uh, narrative never expanded. And what I mean is we've concentrated too much on what happened to us once we were brought here on the ships. They didn't go get slaves. They went and got builders. You know, we were the we were the people that created language, linguistics, mathematics. They didn't go across and and just get a bunch of people that were already slaves. And I think people have that in their mind that we were just always slaves. We weren't. We were free people, you know, the mothers and fathers of civilization that they went to go get and brought over here to have the skills to build this country. And, yeah. and there's not enough of a narrative about yeah, who we I'm were saying. before we got here. We weren't yeah. enslaved. We became enslaved when they went and stole us and brought us here. And so I think that's been a big part of the whole slave narrative and why I don't care to see another slave movie. Yeah. I haven't gone to see Harriet. I don't know if I will because I'm sick of seeing that narrative. I want to see something about make a movie about Django. who we were before. Before we got here. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, what you were saying as far as that, because I didn't know, to be honest with you, I didn't know what you, how, how we were brought over here. So that's that's good to know. But how often, how, that is that, yeah, is that being taught or is it just is it is just the basic slave? Of course being that taught? is okay. being taught because there's certain people in society that want us to have been only slaved and that's the dehumanization of black people. Yeah, they are teaching it and social studies we talked about um we were just talking about Europe and then we had to do a map and that was over the triangular trade and that was when people were trading um meats and animals and then on there people were trading slaves for food for other countries that couldn't get food like that they were getting people slaves to work for them trading that to other countries for food so that's how people were brought to the united states of american america so here's where i go into a conversation that becomes where I don't become popular because when I think about are we taught that no we got coming to America where I mean I don't think that was trying to make a mockery out of that but you got the king of Zamunda and I mean that's how we have said to me that's how we've demonstrated not necessarily through um, like documentaries or things of that nature and so my concern is that at what point do we start educating ourselves and stop waiting for somebody to do that and stop waiting for the system to do that? At what point do we, to me, because it's an and thing, we can demand that and 
we should not in the absence of having that in in terms of being like in our institutions and built in there we should be doing that ourselves and so that's where i probably get some of the pushback because it's well we don't have resources or so everybody didn't Eric, grow up with a teacher in their home so Erica, like you did and erica do you honestly believe that there's a balance do you think it's the overhaul of slavery movies or how many coming to america is in uh um Black Panthers are there as opposed to just flat out slave movies. I think it has to be more of a balance because I'm not going to see no, no, no more. I'm done with that. I'm, I don't want to see that. I want to see us winning. I want to see black people being, you know, I want to see them winning. That's no. Yeah, we were talking. I think I was saying that we don't share our story about who we were prior to slavery. Yeah. OK. And yeah. there needs to be more, that, of, more that of that story. That told, story. And we need to own telling that story, whether while we wait for that to be part of our educational systems and all these which other is things. why i'm not going to see another slave. are you guys also because along with me being over the slave movies with the slave narrative i am also sort of over at this point um what they call quote unquote trauma porn meaning movies or stories that just show horrific things that happen to black people and there's a movie that's out now i'm not going to give any spoilers about it because i haven't watched it but unfortunately i did watch a review that spoiled the movie for me uh slim and queen or whatever queen and slim and it's like Again, not to give away anything that happens in the movie, but I am just over the narrative of all these horrible things that happen to us. Like Jeremy said, I want to see us winning, whether it's a slave narrative or a narrative of just constantly showing the the horrors of the black experience. I'm tired of that being. It's exploited. all about the Benjamins, though. You know, it's about money. What are people going to pay to see? And I think they're uh some of the new movies that are coming out entertain and they are trying to explain why some of these things have happened the way that they've, they, they have happened. And so is that a bad thing? Mm, no, but it's still about the money. And so again, to me, then kind of going back to this conversation about politics, I think to me overall, this discussion just tells me it's, it's so important for us to own that education piece. But I will also say I look at my children, right? So I was raised in a single parent home. I was raised with a mother who had been, you know, deeply impacted by the civil rights movement. My children are growing up in a home where they have two parents. Um, and so their reality of black America is very different than my reality of black America was. And so I think some of the concern that I have these days is that we continue to do things that divide us. Um, I don't think we all have to have the same political views um, and things of that nature, but I still think that we're a long ways of being united. And I think we continue to find ways to divide us. Um, and to me, some of that is still today. It's to me, it reminds me of school days, the bugaboo, the jigaboos and the wannabes, right? And so I think you see that playing out in politics, right? You see, oh, well, you are, you, are well-to-do person or you appear you perceive or you're being pretentious and that's a wannabe or if you're down for the people you're you know and again it's a it's a point of being divided mm -hmm. and keeping us focused on the wrong things rather than the similarities that we yeah. have to champion our cause and Erica, as far as you and Jeremy, let's talk about a little bit how you are raising your kids because um, both of you and your families have uh, brought your kids up in private schools. I know, Jeremy, your girls started off in Montessori schools, mm -hmm. which unfortunately, um, economically, that's beyond most people's reach. But you guys made this, you guys beyond made the sacrifice to do that. And so how do you balance giving your children a view of a life that's more affluent, much better education system, uh, going to schools that are probably where they are very, very much the minority um, in their classrooms and their upbringing? Does that make you feel like you have the more, even more of a responsibility to teach them things about African-American existence and even the struggles 
And how do you balance showing them the struggle black life versus the more privileged black life that they're used to seeing every day? I believe, first off, our kids are an investment. So and um, where we're at, unfortunately, our uh, schools, our school system is suffering. And our and I don't believe it's the teaching. I believe it's the support that the teachers are receiving. Like they're taking away funding and things of that matter that, you know, gives people back when we were in school, people taught because they wanted to teach and they were they were invested in the kids i don't think that they're invested in the kids anymore so it forces you to you know have to unfortunately pay for school so um it's still an, it's still a process for him for them for us to show up uh, for us showing them the struggles of black um of you know the struggles of um you know of black people you know you try to um, introduce them to documentaries make them um give them resources so they can watch certain things but um a lot of, i mean i don't I don't, to be honest with you, I don't want them to have no struggles. That's why I work so hard. I'm not ashamed to say that. So that's why I work. So I, they don't have to deal with the, you know, deal with the things that we had to go through. So I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that I'm able to do that. So they don't have to, we could talk about it, but I don't want them to live it. So if I, anything, if I, uh, I'll die before I let my kids, you know, have to li- actually live it. No. And I also want to teach them. I, I, I do what we do talk about is being thankful because it's you the stuff that you have, you 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 got to realize how thankful you are because there's some people that don't have the things that you have, and we need to we need to instill it more in her and her and Lauren about giving back and being grateful for the things that you have. But yeah, it's still a working process. We, we 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 try. I will say for my family. So again, I, to me, I think the contrast in terms of how I was raised and how I'm raising my children is very interesting. So um, we lived. In Peoria, Peoria is a pretty diverse town. I would say that diversity has been growing even since I moved away from here 20 years. We currently live in a community where I would say that I don't feel it is as diverse as Peoria is. And it's certainly not as diverse as Plano, Texas is. And so, yes, for us, we are trying to be more intentional because I'll be honest with you, the school that my son goes to right now is a public school. And we did transition him from pre-k at montessori and then he did go to a private christian school um the public school he's at now they have two second grade classes and there are only two black students in both of those classes so he does not see people that look like him um the church that we go to um predominantly not us so that was different from being raised here in peoria because we had church Um, And that's where we kind of found our second family. So they don't even have that. So I will say we have been intentional about um, exposing them to more black culture and doing that in groups of people that look more like them. I do even think the way that we do, my husband and I are not Greek, um, but we have considered organizations where you're not Greek and where you can gather together to do that. And I think even that's controversial in the black community. But I will say for us, we got to get it how we can. It's to me very important that they know who they are and they have confidence in who they are because at the end of the day, they are still black children. I thought it was uh, interesting. We were having a discussion last night and I think you said something like you were somewhere, maybe it was in Texas with your son or somewhere. And you said he mentioned to you, where are all these black people come there you know there's all these black people what's going on what was that about Erica so we have a niece that decided to go to an HBCU so she goes to Jackson State um she's done really well there and she was on the homecoming court um so we took the kids down there to support her not realizing it was going to be a lesson in culture um, and so, yeah, my son was, his eyes were big and he was like, there sure are a lot of black people down here, which, you know, that just devastates you. <laughs> and then he says something that I am a little embarrassed to say, but I'll be honest with it because I think that this podcast is about education. It's through experiences. And he says, well, we're peach. So I'm, I was trying to understand what he meant by that. So son, while you're a lighter skinned black person, you are still black. There's lots of different shades of brown and black and whatnot. But yes, I, so again, I feel like in my generation, I don't think mom, you intentionally did this or people around us intentionally did this, but I felt a need to assimilate, right? I felt a need to fit in. Um, and I want my children to know who they are and know their history and not 
not have to feel that. Um, I did not consider a HBCU for that reason because I, you know, you're always taught after you get out of college, you're going to get into the real world and that's not how the real world is. But when I see some of these kids that have gone to predominantly white elementary schools and high schools and then they go there for college, they have balance. And I do think that that balance is important to, as you're developing as a, an adult in the professional world as you get older. So again, we are trying to intentionally expose our children to those things um, so they know how they have options and they're not ashamed or feel that any of those options are less than. Layla, you wanted to add something? I think, um, like um, T.J. Erica was saying, when CJ went to Plano, there's definitely a bunch of different people. When I moved from here to Texas, I saw foods I'd never seen here, races, skin colors, flags, a bunch of different things. There's a bunch of different holidays, holidays that are celebrated that we have to celebrate at school that are from different races. So here, when I lived here in kindergarten, there was a lot of um, African-American and white people as was the majority, and then when we moved in my school, my elementary school, I was in a class with a bunch of different people. There was African Americans, Caucasians, Indians, Asians, Hispanics, like there was everything. And then I was introduced to new foods that I like that are from different countries and different ethnicities <coughs> that I still, that I like and that I would enjoy eating that are all from different cultures. And at school, we have like a culture day where we had to wear something from our culture, and we were allowed to bring food from our culture. So then I got to eat a lot of different food there, too. So What'd just, you bring? I... <laughs> Chit... <laughs> I from the peanut gallery, they said chitlins. <laughs> I forgot. I think I just wore a thing that you gave to me that we had, like, a culture day at church down here before. It was some type of head scarf or something. I forgot what I brought to eat. But I remember eating, I don't even know the name, but there was like different like type of crackers from India that I actually liked and like strawberry jelly. Like there was just a bunch of different things. That Tell I was so me, Layla, to. how that made you feel going from being in Illinois, which was pretty much black and white, to all of a sudden being exposed to these different cultures. Was it intimidating to you? Or were you just like, wow, this is such a, a great learning experience. And how do you kids of different ethnicities and backgrounds, how do you mix? Do you find that you segregate yourselves? Or do you actually mix and make friends with everyone? I think my friend group is um, not the most diverse. I mean, there's there's like African-American, Hispanics, and white. That's it. But there's definitely like stereotypes for different races mm -hmm. that will make somebody feel like they can't be their friend mm -hmm. because of this picture that people have drawn. For example, if I can say this. Go for it. You can say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, I have an Asian friend that we just met this year because joined middle school, all the different schools combined. And he's a boy. And he, my friends at first, they were like, hey, can if I come to your house, can you make me noodles? So, stuff like that. That's like mean and I guess racist. And like in the locker room when we are changing and people are bringing out deodorant and whatever, people are like, if an Indian asks for my deodorant, I'm not going to give it to them because they smell bad like all the time because that's against their culture, something that they can't apparently put on deodorant or smell, shower. I don't know what it is. But there's like just weird things like that that people just discriminate people just by how they look and their race. So my question would be, where did they get that from? Who, who, who's teaching them that? I don't know. I think it would come from your inner household, but at the same time, there you go. I don't know if you could go from, I mean, everybody can smell bad and everybody can make right. rules. So what, what parents have to do is teach equality and, you know, teach acceptance and treat people the way you want to be treated as opposed to putting these stereotypes because stereotypes come from where they, they usually come from your household. Right. And that's what happened at the park that one time when I was right. there. I was there with um, me as an African-American and my two other African-American friends. We were just having a good time walking with these other Hispanic girls, but it was really just like just us really like in our own little group, but there's other people there. And these eighth graders, high schoolers, I don't know who they were, but teens, I would say, were being very racist. I remember we were just yelling out. We were just playing, and somebody looked at us and yelled, said, oh, hey, your grandma used to work on my farm. 
someone said that to me. And they were um, just calling us Negroes and niggas, stuff like that. And I remember we were, my one, my old, the, there was a boy there with us and he tried to chase them off. They ran off in a car. It was time for my dad to pick us up and we were at the Hispanics house and that, that father in that house came out and talked to my dad before he picked me up. He said there was these guys who were being racist to them and then we saw them walking behind the park and my dad pulled over there and gave them a little lesson I guess you could say (laughs) and really talked them out and they just tried to avoid the situation and then on the way back we were talking about how that has to come from inside your house how people on the outside I could walk up to you and you could either be scared of me or you could give me a chance to be my friend but it's just the pic um the picture that parents are painting for their kids so John, i think it's so interesting and this has been such an awesome experience um because it is thanksgiving time and this is a time where families gather together but i don't think that often we are very um it's not obvious to us about the fact that there are three generations in this family and to sit at the table and hear about the experience of black people in our own family and generations of that so to Mm -hmm. sit here and during this conversation know my mom's story and hear her story to hear my story but then I think earlier I said my perception of what I thought was happening with age Layla's age group which is very very different from the reality that she just shared because no matter how hard Jeremy and Andy work Um, And no matter how hard they've worked to put her in this school system that's Mm -hmm. pretty elite, um, she still faces her own Mm -hmm. experience of that. And so it's just been it's just been a great opportunity around this time of family to really um, to be able to sit around and talk about what that looks like from one generation to another. And I thank all of you as we wrap up and for value opening your home. Well, I'm always (laughs) <laughs> Are you saying that now, Pastor, you want to join the conversation? Okay, did we have some other folks before we absolutely wrap up that had something to say? <laughs> Any final words from you guys? Yes. Okay, yay! Let's give Chris a round of applause. Yay! Yeah, I think everyone has to say something. Um. Yeah, audience, this is Chris, so... Um, joined with uh, some special people here at the table and it's just been um, a blessing to a have Jatan and her husband here uh, bringing this forum for folks to um, to speak to to speak about it's been awesome to hear my niece uh, speak about her experience um, and not be shaken not be nervous it's awesome to hear stories um, and perspectives I think this was an educational moment for me. Now, me personally, I'm an introvert. So, of course, I'm going to take the back seat and observe before I feel like I can insert myself. But I will say uh, these podcasts, as I've heard them, and now kind of being up close and personal to them, I think there's a a huge benefit to them, whether it's something that you have to share versus um, something that you're receiving back. So I I just will say, Jatan, this was great. So thank you for coming in and and, and showing up. And for those who've um, put a voice to some of the topics, thank y'all for sharing. Um, And maybe the next go around, there'll be a little bit more to to be said from from the introvert over here. (laughs) Andy, our beautiful sister-in-law, Jeremy's wife, what would you have to say? Yes, I am very much, hi everyone, this is Andy. Uh, very much just like, well, first of all, I was on kid duty. There are some, <laughs> some children downstairs, uh, and I'm not, a, I'm not an introvert. Um, but very, I enjoy just listening again, very impressed with Layla. And, and sometimes you don't Yay. even remember those moments, like, right, I forgot that we voted in the Wilson household um, for Obama and we, and we kind of did that but that was that was something that that she carries with her right so very impactful so so good to see um, I enjoyed the conversation again I don't like being on the mic <laughs> um, but you guys um, I, another important part is that you know everyone has different views and I and these platforms are wonderful for for people to just share their point of view and perspective and, and good to hear and learn from so thank you Jatan for Using, letting us kind of come join your show. 
Well, thank you, and pass the mic to our pastor that's here that's been listening. And I wish this was on video so you could see the look he's giving me right now. But everyone has to share a little something, so the mic is yours. And you're familiar with the microphone, so this should be easy. Reverend Tony Pierce. This is Reverend Tony Pierce, and it's been wonderful listening, and all I can say is it's been real. That's a cop out, but you added something, so I'm thankful. And I and yesterday was Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful for each and every person in this room for so many different reasons. This is just an incredibly special, special group of amazing human beings. You're all wonderful. Thank you for what you've added to my life, and thank you for sharing with the podcast. And as I wrap up, you guys can that are listening can feel free to join this conversation. You can give us a comment on the GetHappyWithJay.com website, our Facebook page by the same name. Stop by, give us a comment, and let these three generations of folks know what you think about what we've said and uh, what it means to you to be black, what this upcoming election means to you. And if you're not black and uh, you're a person not of color listening, I especially want to hear from you. And what do you think about hearing conversations like this? So join in on the conversation. If you're out there in the listening audience and you think you'd like to join me at our table and our happy crew with any number of topics that we cover on the podcast, reach out to me and let me know. And as I always say every week, until next time, do something to make yourself happy. It's not selfish. It's self-care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.